worship you, Jesus. It's been said several times already this weekend. What you're about ready to participate in, what you're about ready to hear will not be a speech. It will not be a, pre a prepared religious lecture called a sermon. What we're going to experiment, experience is impartation. That means that God is going to give gifts to people. And he's going to speak words to people. He's going to heal people. He's going to deliver people. He's going to save people. He's going to break bondage. He's going to shatter addiction. He's going to lift up the broken. what you feel in here it's expectation of impartation brother stone king travels all over the world and it's a high honor to have him and brother jonathan with him this weekend next year we will be gathering in this same meeting and we revert back to our uh, normal dates we postponed this year because of brother stone king's uh, schedule a necessary change but the week after Labor Day, this weekend will happen. So 11, 12, 13 of September. And you need to mark it in your calendar. I really believe God is speaking a word into our region through this particular meeting. When Israel faced the city of Jericho, their most formidable opponent in the early pages of the Old Testament, God spoke a word to Joshua. And he spoke backwards to what we would normally think. See, everybody can rejoice and shout and praise God after the answer comes. But what God is looking for in this place tonight is somebody who will do what he told Joshua to do. Shout, for I have given you the city. You shout now. You praise me first. And see what I'll do when you lift me higher than the problem you've been thinking about all week. So everybody that's on your feet with your hands lifted high, as the man of God comes to bring us the word of God, would you lift up a shout of praise that just kind of rings the rafters? Would you lift up your voice and give Jesus a great praise because he's here and he's going to do incredible, miraculous things. Shout unto the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Woodward. Praise the Lord, everyone. It is a high honor for me to come here to this part of the world to preach and to work with you in the Spirit. I count it an honor to be with Brother and Sister Woodward and their lovely family. Raymond and his wife have been longtime friends of mine, and I'm very grateful to work among you I have watched you the last couple of nights and this morning, and I thought about something this evening. If I could give you one thing, and only one, I would give you the ability with which to see yourself as others see you. Then you would know what a truly special people you are. Thomas Jefferson said, I'm never so happy 
as when I am in the free flow of affection among friends. And I feel that way among you. Something wonderful is in this place. He has a name. His name is Jesus. Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I am grateful for Jonathan Shatwell, who is here with me helping. As I said before, he's made it possible since I've had all the surgeries, etc., to complete all of the commitments that I've made across the country. And so I'm very grateful for that, Jonathan. Thank you so very much. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says in verse 18, chapter 1, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Then, in the last chapter of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is speaking here before his ascension. He says in Mark chapter 16, beginning at verse 17, and these signs, everyone say signs, shall follow them that believe. Say, that's me. Say, I am a believer. In my name, what is his name? Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. In my name, Jesus, shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They, believers, shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. <clears throat> Before I have you to be seated, I want to read something to you. Jesus had no servants, yet they called him master. He had no degree, yet they called him teacher. He had no medicines, yet they called him healer. He had no army, yet kings feared him. He won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. He committed no crime, yet they crucified him. He was buried in a tomb, yet he lives today. Christ Jesus, an obscure teacher, never married, rejected by those he tried to help, executed in humiliation, changed the world forever. This... Jesus, I want to talk to you tonight about the name of Jesus. 
Would you lift your hands, your hearts, your souls, your voices in the air and let us one more time before we're seated cry out to this man called Jesus. Lord Jesus tonight, by the authority of your word, by the power of the name of Jesus, wrap your arms of love around us. And once again, I'm asking that you will lift us into a realm of revelation and understanding by the authority of your word, by the power of your name. Oh, Lord, tonight, cause diseases to depart, depart from people's bodies. Let people be healed physically. Let people, oh God, be delivered mentally. Help us to take hold of the power, the scepter as it were, the throne, the power of this wonderful name, the glory, the majesty, the exaltation of it all. We give you praise, glory, and honor. Blessed be the name of Jesus forever. We ask these things in that matchless name, even the name of Jesus. You may go down clapping, but would you clap with all of your might? One last time tonight. And would you simply shout with a voice of... name of Jesus forever. In John 16.24, Jesus was accurate when he said, looking at those Jews, hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. He was accurate when he made that statement because the Jewish people did not know the name of of the God they served. They referred to him in terms of relationship through the centuries, through the years. They referred, referred to him as Elohim, which in essence means the sum total of his power and essence, what we call the plural of majesty. They addressed him as Elohim. They addressed him as Adonai, which means Lord. They addressed him as El Shaddai, which means Almighty God. They addressed him as Shalom. And in times of peace, they referred to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as Shalom. They also referred to him as the name. In Hebrew, it would be Hashem. Ha is the in Hebrew, and Shem is name. So they referred to him as Hashem said, or Hashem did. The Orthodox Jews are still using this term of relationship even in this very hour. You can go among them and they will never mention anything other than Hashem. It's amazing. Throughout the years, I have always loved the Jewish people. I've always loved the land of Israel. My mother, as I said before, taught me as a child that the Jews were God's chosen people. I've always known that from a child up. So through the years, I've been interested in going to great Jewish synagogues and magnificent temples. We have some beautiful temples in the Albany, New York area. And I've gone there, and usually somewhere behind the ark, they will have up high magnificent stained glass windows. And I read enough Hebrew that I can make out some words. And so there's always a Hebrew word at the very top in among uh, fig leaves and various things that they've got in the stained glass window and stars of David. But there'll be this Hebrew lettering, this name. And I always ask the rabbi who is hosting me and giving me a, a sightseeing little tour through 
the temple or synagogue, I always say to him, what does that say? And he'll look at me and they'll say, it is the unpronounceable name of God. We cannot say it. And then I look at him and say, it says Yahashua, doesn't it? And he'll just, they'll stare at me. There's a reason I'm saying that. Because the name Yahashua, it really is also pronounced Yeshua. Yeshua, Yahashua. Yahashua means God is become our salvation. We pronounce it Jesus in English. If language means anything, then Jesus gave the church the power of attorney. He gave the legal right to use his name to us. The value of power of attorney depends upon how much power and authority are back of that name. From reading the Bible, I'm convinced the, the, the apostles, the disciples, had a power to which we are utterly strangers. They knew that to pray in Jesus' name was as though Jesus himself was doing the praying. They understood that they took the place of Jesus. They took his place on earth. And these signs shall follow literally the believing ones. Literally, he is with us in the power and authority of his name. Jesus inherited a more excellent name than any of the angels as the first begotten son or body of God. Jesus was a name before which every knee should bow in the three worlds. By his conquest over sin, Satan, disease, death, hell, and the grave, he acquired a name above all names. Jesus is giving us a signed check on the resources of heaven and asking us to fill it in. We have the legal right to use that name against our enemies. We have the legal right to use that name in our petitions. We have the right to use that name in our prayers, in our praise, in our worship to this God of gods and Lord of lords. That name has been given to us and Jesus is the mighty victor through death, hell, and the resurrection. Jesus through death, paralyzed him that had dominion of death, the devil. There is no doubt in my mind from reading the scriptures and knowing the Bible as I do, you will notice in reading the Bible that the devil fought Jesus from his birth all the way through to the crucifixion. He fought him through the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. He fought him through Romans. He fought, fought him through any means he could use. Please understand something here tonight. The devil has no influence of his own. He borrows all of his influence from people. He did not kill the prophets. He got people to do that. He did not crucify Jesus. He got people to do that. He did not kill the apostles. He got people to do that. Don't let the devil use you. He has no influence of his own. He borrows all of his influence. Clap your hands and let that revelation sink in because it will put a boldness in you that you can walk up to the devil and say, out of my life. I want you out of my life. Clap your hands again and just shout the name of Jesus and worship.
So Lucifer fought Jesus and fought him and fought him. And then there came that moment. When Jesus was arrested, he went through a trial all night. The decision was he would be crucified. There were a number of people that observed the crucifixion. But there was one guest there that nobody really understood what was going on. Lucifer was there. He couldn't believe it. This Jesus who had cast them into the gutter before their time, this Jesus who had cast them out, was hanging, nailed to a cross. And Satan watched, and he watched, and he watched, and he watched, until after six agonizing hours, Jesus cried out, it is finished. As far as I'm concerned, he should have cried, it is beginning. But he cried out, it is finished. And his body sumped in death. You talk about rejoicing. That Lucifer was absolutely elated. He couldn't hardly believe his eyes. And I personally believe that he went into the four corners of the earth where all of these demonic forces reign and rule and torment and whatever. I believe he called them together and said, this Jesus is dead. I saw his body sump in death on the cross. This one who cast us out, our troubles are over. And I believe the devil ordered a celebration. I believe the demonic forces came and Lucifer was at the center of, center of it and they were rejoicing and they were rejoicing and they were thrilled and they were having a party, a festivity over the fact that this Jesus was dead. But right in the middle of the celebration, there came a knock at the gates of hell. And the emissary posted at the gate said, who is it? And the voice answered, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Open to me the gate. That emissary ran in fear right into Lucifer's throne room. And he walked up to Lucifer and said, Sir, I'm sorry to interrupt this celebration, this party, but there's someone knocking at the gate. And I believe Lucifer said, Who is it? And the emissary said, he says his name is Jesus. You talk about bringing a party to a screeching halt. It came to a screeching halt. And Lucifer said, you'll have to let him in. And I believe that emissary walked up those steps out of that darkened place to the gates of hell and opened the gates of hell. And Jesus walked through and turned his back on that emissary and walked down into Lucifer's throne room. And I believe that Jesus walked up to Lucifer and extended a nail-scarred hand and said, Lucifer, give them to me. Give them to me, the keys of death and hell. 
And I believe that Lucifer reached into his robe, if he wears a robe, and pulled out the keys of death and hell and dropped them into a nail-scarred hand. And Jesus clutched those keys and walked up out of that place. But I believe that when Jesus got to the very gates of hell, he stopped and called back down into that place, Lucifer, in the future, my church will be knocking at the gates and you must open to them for it is written, it is written, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Do you understand what I'm saying here tonight? People, we are the aggressors. We are the aggressors. This church, you ought to storm the gates of hell because the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. We ought to storm the gates of hell and say, let my mother go. Let my father go. Let my brother go. Let my son go. Let my daughter go. Let my neighbor go. I'm talking to people. There are people here tonight. You need to stand to your feet and do a little storming right now. There are some of you. You need to stand to your feet and storm the gates of hell and demand, 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 demand. Let your voice out. Let your voice out. In the name of Jesus. Put a tail on that. There's something wonderful, something powerful, something majestic in this place. Hallelujah. Jesus has just done something. Something just snapped in the spirit world. Something was broken when you shouted, Hatokrisha. I feel you ought to just lift your hands in there and shout the name of Jesus for just a moment. Jesus stands before the three worlds, heaven, earth, and hell, as the undisputed victor over man's ancient enemy and destroyer. Jesus stands as the master of the universe. All he was is in that name. All he is today is in that name. And that name is ours. The most staggering statement to me that ever fell from the lips of the man from Galilee 
was that we are to have the use of his name. What is mine, I do not have to have faith to use. I have it. I have it. I have it. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you can yell to the devil, all the forces of hell and darkness, I have it. I have his name. I have it. I have it. I have it. That's it. John 4.17 makes an exciting, unusual statement. As he is, so are we in this world. I repeatedly say all over places where I go to preach all over the world, if we ever wake up to who we really are, who it is that lives inside of us, our authority and power as believers, we could take our cities. Because there's nothing out there that can compete with us. There is nothing out there that can compete with you. There is nothing out there that can compete with what is going on in here. It doesn't exist out there. But in this place, that's why I say eventually you're going to go to the streets. This thing will eventually go to the streets because it's growing. It's growing. It's growing. I said it this morning. I hear the sound of abundance of rain. I hear the sound of the rushing mighty wind. Revival is in the air. Revival is everywhere. Signs are breaking out. Miracles are breaking out. Revival is breaking out. Revival is in the country. Revival is in the land. Revival is in the world. Tap again and rejoice in that. Just rejoice in that. Uh. Jesus, we must learn the secret of living in that name. If our minds can only grasp the fact that Satan is paralyzed, stripped of his power by Jesus, and that disease and sickness are the servants of this Jesus, that at his voice they must depart. If we could ever come to grips with that, it would be easy to operate in an apostolic realm. Matthew 8, a Roman centurion, servant who was sick, came to Jesus, sent word to Jesus, my servant is sick. Come and pray for him. Jesus in the setting, in the story, said, I'll come. But when the centurion was able to speak, he said, Master, it's not necessary for you to come. I'm a man under authority. I have this 50, I have this 100. I speak and they do as I say. You don't have to come, just speak the word. You are the master of all sickness and disease. Jesus said, I have not found so great a faith, not in all of Israel. The centurion had risen to a higher plane or spiritual appreciation of Jesus than most believers enjoy today. Repent and be
be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off. We are not only saved by that name, we are baptized into that name. I think you ought to clap a little more for that. Get something more. We are buried in that name. We are baptized in that name. That name is in us. The early church did something that is not forcefully carried out among us in our day. They acted for Jesus in his stead. The early Christians taught that when they met, they gathered around that name. That name was the center around which everything revolved. Their prayers were addressed in that name. In that name, the sick were healed. In that name, demons were cast out. In that name, the Holy Ghost came. In that name, they worshipped. All the work of the early church was wrought in that name. Colossians 3.17, they were taught to do all things in that name. Ephesians 5.20, they gave thanks always for all things in that name. 1 Corinthians 6.11, they were washed, sanctified, justified in that name. Hebrews 11.13.15, they were to make confession to his name. James 5.14, they were to anoint the sick in that name. Everything was done in the name of Jesus in the beginning. Everything evolved around that name. We have been given a deed. How few of us really know, possess, or enjoy what all this deed possesses. The lame man at the gate, beautiful. Peter knew he was acting in Jesus' stead, in his place. He had seen Jesus do this. Now he used that same authority. You will notice in this account that Peter does not walk up and pray for the sick man. He simply says, such as I have in Jesus' name, rise and walk. He remembered what the master had said. Whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do it for you. In the beginning, they didn't argue about it. They didn't worry about it. They didn't analyze it. They simply entered into that right with the simplicity of a child. We have been baptized into that name publicly. We are in Jesus. And being in that name, we act representatively, legally for him. Consider something. His birth was a miracle. Jesus' life was a miracle. His wisdom and teaching were miraculous. He walked in the realm of the miraculous. He made miracles common. His death was a miracle. His resurrection was a miracle. The ascension was a staggering miracle. But perhaps the most staggering, the most outstanding miracle of that day was the advent of Pentecost. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them cloven tongues of fire and set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Remember I said, Jesus should have said it's beginning. The devil thought his troubles were over. They were just beginning because now you don't have one Jesus. You got 120 
and then you got 5,000, and then you got 5,000 Antioch. You've got, look, look at the Jesuses that are here. You've got the same power that this man called Jesus. You are an absolute terror to the devil. You people are a terror to the devil. If you ever wake up to who it is that's alive in you and begin to demonstrate as the power of God would have you do, you can tear everything to pieces because there's nothing out there that can compete with it. People, that's shouting material. That's shouting material. What I'm saying, wake up, wake up, wake up. Stir up the gift. Stir up the gift that's in you. Stir up the understanding. Peter, Peter was a trembling, fearing, denying man. But after stumbling out of the upper room, speaking with tongues, being baptized in Jesus' name, look at it, read it. He fearlessly faces the Sanhedrin, the high priest, with a power that shook everything. A stream of miracles flowed from the hands of the apostles that upset Judaism and shook the Roman Empire to its foundations. In fact, I've listened to professors from Harvard and Yale in this country, America. I've heard them talk about the glory of Nero, the glory of the Roman Empire. I've listened to the lectures. And they all usually come to this in the end. This is what they say. They say, but it was that Christian cult. They called it a Christian cult that destroyed the Roman Empire, in spite of Rome's brutality, their iron-clad fist of control, the fear of crucifixion, all of the things that they were known for, they ruled ruthlessly in power. None of that could stand against this church, this power of this name called Jesus because despite Rome's power and influence, they controlled the world. The lions concerning Christianity, the lions couldn't eat it. The fire couldn't burn it. The walls couldn't hold it. There was nothing that could stop it. It was like a forest fire out of control. Even Nero's wife, history says, she was a believer. She'd been to the Mamertine prison and Paul had preached to her and she had received the Holy Ghost and was baptized in Jesus' name right under Nero's nose. You know what thrills me about the Bible? When Paul writes to some of these epistles, he said, those of Caesar's household, chiefly, they greet you. I don't care how wicked this area is. I don't care how wicked this city is. I don't care how wicked this, this country is. <laughs> mm. We of the household of Jesus yes. greet you. There is no devil in hell. There is no combination of devils that can fight or resist the power that is in the church. That's why I say we ought to storm the gates of hell every time we come to church. We ought to come through those doors absolutely demanding. We have got the power. We have got the power. We've got the name above every name. We have the authority. It's alive in us. And if we ever get this thing stirred up inside of us, it will tear everything to pieces. Does 
does that excite you? Then let your voice out for just a moment. <laughs> a stream, a stream of miracles flowed from the hands of the apostles that upset Judaism and shook the Roman Empire to its foundation, eventually destroyed it. Man is the offspring of this miracle worker whose name is Jesus. Christianity is based on a series of miracles culminating at Pentecost. And it's my burden that it must not die. This thing cannot die. It must not die. The reason I've given a lot of my time to the younger generation, it doesn't take two or three generations to lose the truth. It can be lost in one generation. If this generation does not see the demonstration of the spirit of the power of God, it will be lost to the next generation. And the deep-seated hunger in the human heart for God is the reason for all religions. Man really cannot live without God. If he can't find the one true God, he'll make a God with his own hands and then fall down and worship it. Go to the jungles of Africa, Asia, wherever. They're all worshiping gods. Most of them fashioned by human hands. They serve gods that see not, hear not, speak not, touch not, walk not. But this Jesus. Only once did the devil have him flat on his back, lying on a cross with nails through his hand and feet. But the mistake that Lucifer made is when he lifted him up. For it is written, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And to think the devil did it. He thought he was ridding himself of this Jesus when he crucified him. But when he was lifted up, it's a story unlike any story. It's a truth unlike any other truth that exists anywhere in the human universe. This Jesus that died loved, cared for the likes of us. Men are easily deceived. Men are easily deceived by pseudo-miracle workers because of this hunger for the supernatural. If we take the supernatural out of this gospel, we have only a religion. The Old Testament, it's brimming with miracles. Look at all that Abraham was involved with. Joseph, plagues in Egypt, Exodus, the Red Sea opening, prophets, kings, until finally a virgin in the hillside country of Judea conceives. Miraculous. How is it that virgin in the hillside country of Judea, a Roman province at the time, 
could conceive by the overshadowing of the Spirit of God. How is that possible? If you read in Genesis, everything reproduced after its own kind, its seed was in itself. Every animal reproduced its own kind. It's a law of genetics that cannot be altered. You can cross a donkey and a horse, but you get a mule, and the mule is sterile. There's a law of genetics. Everything reproduces after its own kind. How is it that Mary, a virgin, a young maiden, could conceive by the overshadowing of the spirit of the almighty God, the creator? Well, the answer is simple. Same species. God made us man, God-kind. Man is the only creature that can say and boast, I was made in the image and the likeness of God. Nothing else can say that. I am not fish-kind, I'm not animal-kind, I'm not fowl-kind, I am God-kind. That's why you can come into services like this and you can feel the presence of God. You can feel his spirit. You identify with it because you're God kind. And when you're filled with his spirit, you become, as it were, a Jesus walking in this world with his authority, his name, and his power. Well, you don't seem too excited about that, but you ought to be excited about that because that is one of the greatest things that is in your possession today. Rejoice in that for a moment. Mm. I don't know what's wrong with me tonight, but I just feel like jumping up and down and shouting. I, there's something exciting in this place. I just feel like jumping up and down and worshiping God and yelling, but I'd lose my voice and I couldn't finish this message. So why don't you yell for me for a minute? Why don't you just shout for me for a moment? Jesus! I worship you. God forbid we become hearers of the word and not doers. As far as I'm concerned, all unbelief is a challenge to the integrity of God. Doctors, medical doctors, years and years of expertise and training and study and just absorbing volumes of all kinds of knowledge about medicine and life. Looked at me in the hospital and said, you had defied all the laws of medicine. One of them looked at me and said, you're not supposed to be alive, you're supposed to be dead. <laughs> I lifted my hand and looked right at him and I said, I didn't defy your laws. 
but I know one who did. I know the one who did. I know him. In the hospital in Sydney, Australia, they said, my sister came right away, and her husband, when they found out I had fallen dead and there was no hope for me. And when they got there, they told my sister, they said, look, we know you've come a long ways, etc., but your brother is dead. He's unconscious. If he ever regains consciousness, he'll be brain dead. He won't be able to speak. He won't be able to see. He won't be able to hear. He won't be able to walk. He'll just be a vegetable. That's what they told my sister. So, you can well imagine, when I regained consciousness, and began to make a few simple demands about my comfort, they were in a state of confusion. And they don't know what to do with all of that. So, the news spread through the hospital like fire that I was alive, I could talk, I could see, I could hear. It was amazing. And I had a private room. It, it was, there was always somebody hanging in the doorway just staring at me. <laughs> always. I could, no matter, in the night, I could open my eyes and there'd be someone just looking at me. I felt like a sideshow or something. I don't know what. what. But then, a couple of days later, some of the staff came in. They said, the doctors want to this, want this talk to you. I said, fine, there's no problem. So they, after a few minutes, a couple of doctors came in. Didn't even speak. They just sat down in folding chairs at the foot of my bed in the hospital and stared at the floor. And I thought to myself, I must not be cooperating. There's something I'm not doing right. So I propped myself up a little bit, and I said, I said, gentlemen, I'm sorry if I'm not cooperating. I said, but I didn't sleep really well last night. I have sort of a headache a little bit. Slightly <laughs> put, actually, after all I've been through. Dead for 45 minutes. That's sort of a little... Anyway. One of the doctors said, Reverend, it has nothing to do with you, personally. I said, well, what then does it have to do with? And I'll, I'll never forget this. They just stared at the floor. Never even looked at me. They said, you're supposed to be dead Medically, you should be dead, and you're not, and we don't know why. So, at that point, I said, well, let me ask you a question. Have ever of you ever heard of this man called Jesus? And they wouldn't answer. So, I posed the question again a little more forcefully. I said, have any of either of you ever heard of this man, Christ Jesus, from Nazareth? One of those doctors looked at me very quickly and looked away. He said, yes, yes, we've heard of him. I said, so then you both admit you know about him. They said, yes. I said, well, here's understanding for you. You know about him, but I know him. I don't want to just know about him. I want to know him. I want to know him. If you concur with that, would you clap for a moment? Would you let your voice out to this Jesus? Oh. I remember when I was in Bible college, Sister Norris, she had a 
PhD in psychology. She was a brilliant teacher. But she told us how in the early days of Pentecost in the state of Minnesota, when they first came into the church, they worshipped in storefronts and just wherever they could find. And she said they'd have these pot-bellied stoves with coal and wood. They'd be just almost white hot. She told how I'd go to class. I'd hear this stuff in classes. I wasn't raised in this, so this was electrifying to me to hear all of these things. And um, she talked about how they would dance with their eyes closed, spinning in those services at night. And no one ever tripped or fell into that hot stove. And I'd go back to my class, to the room where I stayed uh, during the school, and I'd get on and cry and pray and say, God, I want that kind of power. I want to know that kind of Jesus. I want that kind of demonstration. Then one day in class, she told us, she said, you know, one night there was snow on the ground, and it was very cold, and one of the older sisters in the church was walking through the snow on her way to one of these services, and some thug jumped out of the bushes trying to rob her, take her purse, and that little old lady threw her hands there and said, in Jesus' name! And he fell dead. And the police said to her, lady, what did you do to him? There was not a mark on him. She said, all I said was in Jesus' name. That's all you have to say is in Jesus' name. Mm. The name of Jesus was in the hands of Paul what the rod was in the hands of Moses. If the Egyptians could ever have stolen that rod, they would have stripped Moses of his power. If the Trinitarians and others of this world could ever strip us of his name, we will have lost our power, our weapon. We will have lost it. The modern church, having lost the power of the name of Jesus, is reduced to the position of a shorn Samson. The Gentile church is a people taken out of the world unto the name of Jesus. It's a supernatural body. It's clothed with supernatural power. It's gathered about a supernatural name. One mighty miracle today in the name of Jesus Christ is worth more than a thousand modernistic sermons that are being preached in many churches. How do you fight? I'd love to consider this. I do it all the time. People have all these statements they want to make about God, etc., 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 but I have a question for you. How do you fight a man that doesn't even bother to knock at your door? He just comes through the wall and sits down at your table and says, I'm going to have lunch with you. How do you fight that? You don't fight that. How do you fight a man that steps to the bow of a ship and says to an angry storm, peace, be still, and the waves become placid, and the wind is silent? How do you fight that? You don't fight that. How do you fight a man who walks up to the tomb of a friend, Lazarus, who's been in the grave for four days? Oh, they called for Jesus on the first day, but he didn't come. He didn't come the second day. He didn't come the third day. He came the fourth day. There's a reason for that. Because according to Jewish tradition, it was impossible to raise anyone from the dead after the third day because the body had begun to decompose. Jesus purposely came on the fourth day to shatter their traditions. And he's in that shattering business tonight, in this world, tonight. And we are that armor. We are that weapon that he is going through and using in this hour. Ah. Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. And Lazarus' sister said, oh, master, if you had come earlier, 
our brother would not have died. Jesus walked up toward that tomb and cried out, Roll away the stone! And they rolled the stone away. And then he cried, Lazarus! It's a good thing he named him. If he'd have just said, Come forth, the whole resurrection would have come walking out of that tomb because he was the resurrection and the life. Lazarus came walking out of that tomb. How do you fight that? You don't fight that. How do they fight you and me in this hour? They don't. They can't. <laughs> I walked into a, a lot of things like this have happened through the years for me. But in this one place, I walked into a drugstore a few years ago now and ordered a malted milkshake, something I, I've always liked from a child up. And uh, there was some guy sitting at the, on the bar stool down here, and I was down here about four or five stools down with him. No one else in there. I just walked in. I sat down. I was being a good boy. I behaved myself. I just ordered a strawberry malted milkshake. This guy looks at me and said, you send forth powerful vibrations. I said, would you like me to tell you what it is? <laughs> I've got it, and I know that I've got it, and you've got it, and I want you to know that you've got it, because if you know what you've got a hold of, it will shatter everything. It will shatter everything. Mm. Jesus' name was to take the place of Jesus on earth. There is no doubt about that. I am here tonight with a bit of anger inside of me. Because in the United States, there is a move on to destroy and forbid the use of the name of Jesus. They have just issued orders to the military that they no longer can pray in the name of Jesus. They're trying to get it out of the schools. They're trying to get it out of every place they possibly can. Behind that is a demonic spirit. I hate that spirit, and I hate the thugs that the devil is using, and they're thugs. And I've got the intestinal fortitude or the guts, if you please, to call it as it really is. I think we ought to shout the name of Jesus every time we come to church. Nobody's going to stop us. Nobody's going to stop us because the power is in the name of Jesus. The power is in the name of Jesus. The power is in the name of Jesus. That's why they want us to stop it. They don't care what name you pray in as long as it is not in the name of Jesus. It's not in Allah. It's not in Buddha. It's not in the millions of gods of Hinduism. It's in the name. It's in the name. It's in the only name given under heaven above men. Whereby we must be saved. It is Jesus. Shout that name again.
In some restaurants, I make it a point to pray longer over my food than normal and say in Jesus' name out loud. <laughs> what are they going to do? Kill me? I've already been there. <laughs> not a big deal. Death is not a big deal. I've already been through that. I've even told Jesus, look, I know the word. It's a point that a man wants to die and after that, the judgment. I've been through that. Help me to live to the rapture. I don't want to go through that thing again. How many of you concur with me? <laughs> ah. Ah. Jesus, I pray for revelation in this place. I pray for something to be born here tonight in this service among these people, these pastors, these preachers that will spread all over this countryside that something will be born here, a determination, an anointing, a fervor, a divine order, a divine commission from you that, oh God, will spread over this whole Canadian area in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of your spirit. I was, was in Louisiana two or three years ago, preaching a meeting there. And um, there was a move of God. There was the miracles. It was tremendous. But a young couple came up to me. And um, they had been Amherst someplace in South America. I don't remember where. They said, Brother Strunk, you've, you've got to hear this. I said, what? They said, well, we were in this one village and we would go from village to village, and they, we would preach. But just a young, young couple, Amers, on mission soil, on mission soil. They said, we went into this one village, and they said, we would go into the village, and we'd preach wherever we could find a place to preach. They said, but in this particular village, we found out there was a male, I think, no, it was a woman witch, that controlled that whole village. They said, we noticed as we walked in the path of the roadway into this village, there was this huge tree at the entrance of this village, a little town, and it was just a huge tree, but every limb was covered with just strings with feathers hanging and bones and all of this. They had been, there were offerings that had been offered to this female witch that controlled that village. They said, we didn't know that at the time. We just saw it. He said, but the Stone King, as we entered that village, something stirred. The devil in that witch stirred, and she came running out of the place where she lived, and she began to run toward us. Mistake. That young couple raised their hands and said, in the name of Jesus. She fell to the ground, and they ran to her and prayed her through to the Holy Ghost. God worked a miracle because they said in the name of Jesus. Can you hear me? They said, Brother Stone King, when that woman began to speak with tongues, that witch began to speak with tongues, that whole tree burst into flames and burned and fell to the ground. 
I'm not talking about something 2,000 years ago. I'm talking, Brother Woodward, about things that's happening now in our day. These things are coming among us. These things are upon us. These things are working through us in this hour. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and then I've been going into Taiwan, China, China and helping the Brackens uh, for several years. I haven't gone the last couple of years because of everything, but I've been over there a lot. And Brother Bracken, they're wonderful missionaries. And I found out by going over there and preaching for them that he took his family into mainland China at their own expense because their PIM support from foreign missions in this country doesn't really cover these extra things they do. So I helped on the side to raise money for them so they'd have money to fly into these remote places in China, in villages where, where no one's hardly ever been. And they all speak Chinese. They all speak Chinese. And their daughter, I understand, can write it. And they, they can preach in Chinese fluently. So they go into mainland China, and uh, they preach this gospel, and they baptize Chinese in Jesus' name, and they receive the Holy Ghost. They said, Brother Stone King, Tom said to me, he said, I want, you to, I want you to hear this. He said, on this last trip when we were into Taiwan, he said, we found out there were two Chinese teenage girls that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They were baptized in Jesus' name, and they got to reading the Bible, and they discovered in the Bible and saw that Jesus in the beginning sent them out by twos as a team to preach. See, that's almost too biblical for us. But in the beginning, he sent them out by twos because their strength. And what these two girls would do, th this is the most incredible story I've ever heard as far as I'm concerned. These two girls would walk into these villages wherever they went, and they would ask, what is the main problem here in the village? And the villagers would tell them what the problem was. And those two girls would attack that problem and preach against it and preach and pray deliverance on the people and they'd get the Holy Ghost be baptized in Jesus' name. They went into this one village. And this is where Brother Bracken wanted to get me. He said, Brother Strong King, these girls walked into this one village and they asked the question they'd always ask, what is the main problem here? And the villagers said, oh, there's a male witch that controls this village. He controls everyone who comes in and goes out of the village. No one can come in or go out without his permission. And so the girl said, take us to him. And they said, you don't understand. We can't take you to him. We, we won't take you to him. And the girl said, take us to him. We want to meet him. And the villagers said, we can't. And they, they went back and forth like this for, I don't know, several minutes. Finally, the villagers said, all right, we'll take you to him but it's dangerous. <laughs> These two girls, teenage girls, Chinese, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, began to walk as those villagers walked with them to the residence of this witch that controlled the village. And as they walked toward his residence, wherever it was, he must have felt something and he came out of his residence 
and saw these two teenage girls and started running toward them. And when he did, they threw their heads in the air and said, in the name of Jesus Christ. And he froze in the air just like that. And the whole village came and said, whoever this God is that you serve, we want him. And they baptized the entire village in Jesus' name. They baptized the entire village in Jesus' name. Again, I'm saying this is not 2,000 years ago. This is in our day. People, we are a part of this. We are a part of this. We are a part of this. I don't know about you, but I want to be involved in the middle of what God is doing. We are involved right now with the greatest move of God that has ever, ever hit this world. And there is nothing that can fight against it. There is nothing that can destroy it. I found out there's an underground church in almost every Muslim country. There's an underground church everywhere. People, I found out from the Brackens when I was in Taiwan that there is, there is over 100 million believers in the underground church in China and many of them are baptized in Jesus' name. People, we are living in this hour when God is beginning to stir everything, but it all, is, it all revolves around the name of Jesus. It all revolves around the name of Jesus. The power is in that name, that name of Jesus. If two Chinese girls can throw their hands in the air and cause a male witch to become paralyzed and the whole village is converted because of it, what should you and I be doing in this hour with what we've got a hold of? <laughs> I had a private audience in Singapore. The Willoughby's had brought in about 20 people from the underground church in China. They have connections and they could do it. They brought them in. And um, I wanted to, I asked if I could have a private audience with this one man from the underground church in China. He spoke English. He had a factory. And so the communists in China were accustomed to foreigners coming and going because he had a factory. What they didn't know was in the basement of that factory, there was an underground church, and he had all kinds of things going. But I said to him, I said, and he spoke English well, I said to him, how did you find this truth? He said, Brother Stone King, he said, I found a Bible. I don't know where it came from. Do you hear me tonight when I say, if God knows that you will serve him, he will make a way for you to find his truth. He will make a way. He said, I began to read the New Testament. I, I understood. I, I tell that Jesus was God. Jesus was God. He said, then I saw by reading the Bible that you had to be baptized in Jesus' name. 
He said, we didn't have a preacher. There was no pastor. He said, I went to my mother. He said, I got down on my knees in front of my mother because they're very respectful of their elders. And he said, mother, I am reading the Bible, this Christian book, this Jesus is God. We've got to be baptized in his name for the remission of our sins. But there was no one to baptize them. So he baptized his mother in Jesus' name in a bathtub, and she baptized him in Jesus' name in a bathtub. That's how they got baptized and he began to preach he began to preach he began to tell everything then he went to his he went to his aged father and his father had this big growth on his neck this goiter or something and they have you know the floors in the villages they're just dirt floors they have nothing and um, so he went to his father and get down on his knees. He said, Father, I have become a believer. I've become a believer in this Jesus. He is God. He said, I found out that believers can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. See, they have no hospitals there. They have no doctors. So there's no way to get to those places. He said, I am a believer in this Jesus. Would you allow me to lay hands on you and pray that God will heal this thing from your throat? And the father agreed. And that man laid his hands on his father and prayed in Jesus' name. And before his eyes, that Goiter totally disappeared, and the flesh became absolutely clear. Power in the name of Jesus. I want you to stand to your feet. I believe something is going to happen for you as an individual and as a conglomerate here tonight. I don't know exactly how this works. I don't know. I only know that in the Bible, when the Hebrew children, the people of God, shouted, worshiping God, walls came down, enemies were discomfited, battles were won. And just a few minutes ago, while I was speaking to you, I felt like at the end of this service, at the end of what I wanted to transmit to you, that if we would stand and shout the name of Jesus that something would be broken in this area for the cause of Jesus' name that will never, ever be able to become welded together again. It's like there's a chain that's about to melt. There's a chain that's about to melt and dissolve and fall to the floor. So I want you, I'm going to count to three, and when I do, I want you to shout the name of Jesus. And when you do, something miraculous is about to happen. One, two, three. If you're a believer here tonight, get a hold of somebody. These signs shall follow them that believe. There's miracles all over this audience. I can't pray for every one of you, but if the believers, as a believer, if you get a hold of each other, these signs will follow. People are being healed. People are being delivered. People are being set free. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. There's an anointing falling upon a number of you. There's an anointing falling upon the ministry. I particularly pray 
particularly pray for every pastor here, every evangelist here, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Holy boldness to come upon you. Holy boldness to come upon you. That's it. That's it. That's it. Ah. That's it, that's it. You young people get a hold of each other. You get a hold. There's an anointing. There's an anointing in Abatakashaka. There's an anointing upon you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's it. That's it. That's it. If you've got a hold of it, if God has got a hold of you, I challenge you to get in the aisle. I shall challenge you to get in the aisle, to come running to this altar and just dance before him with joy, with glee, with purpose. Jesus! 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 That's it! That's it! <laughs> 